because you're jumping back into the gut. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter, at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram, at Basketball Immersion, to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome former EuroLeague and G League head coach Martin Schiller to the Basketball Podcast. Under Schiller's guidance, EuroLeague team BC Zalgiris team won the 2021 Lithuanian Championship, as well as the Cup title. Schiller was named the NBA G League Coach of the Year for the 2019-20 season after leading the Salt Lake City Stars to a 30-12 record. In his vast coaching career, Schiller has also been an assistant coach for the German national team and has been head coach or assistant coach for a number of European teams. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Chris, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Coach, you've had so many great experiences and just some advice to coaches about career management. What are some things that you've learned about managing your career? You know, first of all, I think career management is a, is a good word. I, I think career planning would be would be a, a difficult vocab for, for us coaches, right? But management is a pretty good one in my, in my eyes. You know, for me, it all starts with, with the goal setting, uh, to be honest. You know, what's, what's, your, what's your goal? And then if you're, if you're set with that goal, you know, how do you pursue, you know, achieving that goal? And, and how, like, resilient are you with, you know, pursuing that travel? And, uh, like, you know, I, I think that's really where it starts. And for me personally, I've been fortunate to have always had a pretty clear goal. And I want to say it's almost intrinsically. Like, you know, I played and played on a high youth level, but figured out early I wouldn't be a professional player. But that was my dream. And so the closest thing to that was coaching and coaching professionally. So I started out as a youth coach. and. Did that for over 10 years and then broke through into the pros as an assistant coach. And my goal was, though, being a head coach in the pros because I felt it's the closest to being a player. And so kept uh, pursuing and was an assistant coach in the German league for seven years and then got a chance to become a head coach in Salt Lake City. You know, so again, I was lucky and this, I was lucky, I don't want to say lucky so much in like those different steps, because I pursued those steps. And then I think you can force your luck a little bit. And then yes, you have to get lucky, of course. But I think the biggest uh, luck I have and had is that I've got a clear goal, always have had a clear goal, you know, and again, I think it, it starts there with the management, because then if things go left and right, and, you know, things change, outliers change, and you still got like this goal and this vision where you're going through and the thing you're aiming at, then uh, that for sure helps managing your career. I, I love it. And uh, it's an oversimplification, but I talked to coaches about two aspects of career management, and that is network and knowledge. And those are two things that you control. And you don't control everything in your career management, but those are two things you can control. So can you talk about those two things? Maybe first in terms of how you work to build network and maintain network, and then secondly, how you work to build and maintain your knowledge. That's, that's really important. I agree with you. So networking is really 
it's really, and it goes hand in hand, I think, a little bit, the knowledge and the network, because it is, if you're, if you're curious for knowledge, then, and you want to, you know, you want to, you want to kind of, you know, like, you <laughs> Be, be you know want to learn then automatically you have to network in order to learn from people you're networking to right so so it kind of goes hand in hand and I think the knowledge piece is always a good chance to and a good reason to connect with somebody because especially in our business but I would assume everywhere else as well you know people actually like to share their knowledge if they are you know, really ask for it and, and ask for it in a serious way and in a serious manner right so i think those things can go uh, can go hand in hand and, and that's for sure <laughs> being thirsty for knowledge for sure helps you like kind of connect easily you know the other thing ex- excuse me the other thing with the with the with the you know networking yeah it's just important right like it's just important to 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 pick up the phone and and go to venues and and communicate with people it just you know to 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 be out there you know it's i don't, I don't think it's anything bad it's just a piece of it right well, I know you talked to me privately about this and without getting into the details of where you've gone and everything like that, one of the things that I tell coaches is most valuable is to be able to attend practices or different things like that, because it gives you that more intimate experience to build both those things, doesn't it, in terms of network and knowledge that they can put a face with you, but you can also ask questions that stimulates learning, but also for the person you're talking to, remembering you. And that's a big part of the journey, isn't it? Yes, I strongly agree. And you know, like especially the visiting part, like the visiting different coaches, it's it's not easy because in a way you you need to be without a job. Uh, but <laughs> that's you don't want to be without a job. But if you of course are, not. I agree with you. It's almost the best investment you can make. And and going into detail, I always I think the best time to visit a coach is actually in preseason because that gives you the base ideas of things. And there is often not quite the stress of in-season, but that's not always the case, right? What I would say, what, what I've enjoyed uh, visiting coaches throughout uh, the last couple of months is preparing myself for the visit. So, so thoroughly studying the, the teams I'm visiting. I just thought it really gave me very clear, clear things to look at, ask, you know, and, and, and understand. And then go there with that knowledge and then kind of, you know, like, like put the things together. And then actually even going further, this, is, this has been the case for me where with some teams. And, and like you, you study them, you go there, you watch them, and then the season continues and you keep watching them now with a different view than before. So it's actually, it's been a pretty uh, interesting experience for me. That's so cool that uh, you do that. And that's such an important part is, is knowing the team you're going to visit and the coach and the style. And I'm curious, and I've said this to coaches too, that it's different at different places. Some places are very welcoming of, and they want your feedback. And then there's other places that don't. And that's just cool. Whatever it is, it's all good. And just take whatever comes your way, right? Yes, yes. And I, <clears throat> I also understand both. And I also think both are both both styles or right, both manners are also like 
you know, caused by certain situations, probably by the experience of the coach running the whole thing, the connection that the person visiting has to the coach, right? Whether it be a direct or an indirect connection or not so much of connection where then perhaps the trust isn't, uh, isn't, isn't that big. I think it also comes down to the phase of the season, uh, right? So it's, it's like, yeah. If, if you're in a critical phase in a season, things are perhaps not going that well, you know, perhaps the last thing you want is, you know, a visitor, you know, observing things from the outside who you don't, you know, fully trust because you can't. So I, I really think there are all kinds of everything is understandable in my in my eyes. And I've been I've been pretty, pretty lucky with with very generous um, hosts. Oh, I love that. I love hearing that. And another question I get asked a lot, and I'd love to have your thoughts on this is because you are accumulating a lot of knowledge over this period of visiting a bunch of practices and stuff. What do you do with that knowledge to be able to, again, use some of it, throw some of it away? How do you bring that knowledge down into manageable bites for you? That's a good question. Again, for me personally, it starts with the organization of the whole trip, right? And the organization of the whole like experience, you know, I like to personally like put everything together, like in, in videos, you know, so I have like kind of, okay, this is my visit A and, and this is what I learned. And I put it in a video file, including my notes. So I like to have my notes in, included with the video. So everything is there and it goes to Dropbox and then there, it is, you know, and then I can go back to it. Uh, compared to, you know, me trying to figure out where I noted something and, you know, and then <laughs> I can't find a piece of paper. And so but that's, I mean, that's, a, that's a, just an organizational piece, right? You know, like, like, I mean, that's, that's kind of the organization behind it. And when you say a video, is that like you record some of the practice or are you speaking afterwards into a video uh, to uh, remind uh, yourself? What I mean is like putting together a video of like, okay, like this is what uh, actually like uh, to be very precise. So we visit team A, I visit team A. Okay. I, this season I've studied almost exclusively the defensive end of the, of the ball and, and, and pick and roll coverages. And so here's what they do. And it's in a video file as if we prepare the opponent to play against them only in more detail. Right. And then I go there and I ask my questions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my notes, I'll just put my notes in the video, you know, like even if it's a piece of paper and a picture taken and then slice that picture in the video at the right point of the video, you know, so it's, uh, it's really, it's, it's really just piecing the stuff together in a very pragmatic form. And not a very, not a very like beautiful form, but very pragmatic. So I know where the stuff, where the stuff uh, went and where it is, you know, and, and that's what it is, you know, and for me in the last couple of months visiting and not only visiting, but also like studying, uh, uh, because I think that's the next thing of like the kind of accumulating like knowledge is like doing projects and studying. I handle it the same way, you know, just like, okay, this is my project. I'm studying this team. And again, like, for example, it was a defensive end. It was a pick and roll defensive end, just for example, because it was. And, and then uh, to me, it's like a little bit of a, it's almost like a neuroscientific thing of learning, you know. It really is. You know, it's almost the, the best I could come up with uh, how to learn for myself, 
right? Like watching it and watching it and watching it in detail and watching, okay, right? This is the, this is the pick and roll going to the inside of the floor, this is to the outside, right? This is, a, this is an up screen, this is a naked side pick and roll. Okay, how do they look in on hard hedging teams? How do they look on icing teams? How do they look on dropping teams? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And that's, that's what I came up with. Can you, and that's fascinating. And thank you for sharing that. And I'm also curious then your perspective, because I thought that when I visited practice, one of the most valuable experiences was being around coaches or programs that did something really different than what I did, because I thought that challenged me the most, either to challenge my thinking or to confirm my thinking in both those. So can you talk a little bit about that process about being around coaches that don't necessarily align with what you believe going in? Yeah, I've actually, I've, I've also chosen, you know, let's put it like this, like, let's not say belief, but right, like more like what you're more accustomed to or what you know the best or feel the most comfortable with. I think that's it, right? Like, Good point, yeah. The, the, the one thing to me that is, and, and again, my career hasn't been long, but I've been lucky to work with a lot of really good people and to see a lot of good stuff is how do the Americans say to to skin the cats a million ways, right? Like, and it's, and I mean, that's, it can't be, like, that's a great quote and it just, it just fits and it's correct. And, and I, I, I dislike, uh, I dislike these like absolute comments, right? Like these like, yeah, no, no, that doesn't work here, right? Ah, that doesn't, no, in this league, no, on this level, this doesn't work. And nah, nah I, I don't know. Like that to me is disrespectful, right? So, but I agree with you. Yeah, there are certain things that you know best, right? And that you feel most comfortable with due to that. And yeah, I'll agree. Like the, 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 more, the, more, the more complex things, again, almost neuroscientifically are the things that you don't know that well, right? And, and, but, but I think that's good too. So yeah, you know, that's good too. Hey coach, I just want to let you know, Basketball Immersion is proud to partner with Just Play. I had the chance to spend some time with Just Play in New Orleans at the Final Four, and I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all-in-one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo, www dot just play solutions dot com forward slash bball immersion that's awesome i like your phrasing there and you know i'm curious are there are there for especially for coaches that haven't had a chance to dive deep into european basketball this year are there any trends or anything that you've seen that's a little bit different that uh, might be on our radar for the future that we kind of see a little bit more of i don't know you know like to me and again like i've been watching i've been watching pick and roll and and I and the question is, especially on the defensive end, to me, if if European trends jump over to the U.S., I, I, I'm not that sure about it, you know. But yeah, so 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 no, I I really don't know. Like I mean, like you know, I mean, pick and roll wise, for sure, on, on a general on a general like scale. On, on the European level, like much more teams are pushing into the screen than, than icing pick and rolls, let's say. And 
It is interesting in the NBA right now that like a higher percentage of teams is actually pushing into the screen, whereas I want to believe a couple of years back it was like, you know, probably the highest percentage of things was icing, you know. And so I think there's like a similarity, you know, where the similarity, but I don't know if there's a connectivity. So on that note, then, I mean, the challenges, I mean, and, you know, the advantages potentially of you going from Europe to the G League and back to Europe again. And, uh, you know, there have to be some some really unique experiences going back and forth and not focusing on the professional side in terms of the job, but more on the technical, tactical. What were some of your takeaways of going back and forth like that? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the professional side or the personal side was probably like one of the biggest challenges. Uh, and then like kind of uh, it trickles down, right? But, uh, you know, um, quite a few things. So just talking about the, you know, I mean, first of all, understanding kind of the difference. And, and the one thing is understanding it on the whiteboard and the other is actually experiencing it. And, and, and to me, just to kind of introduce my thoughts on it, to, to me, it's always this, there's a, there's a little bit of an arrogancy towards each other and, and, you know, which is somewhat not correct. Right. Like, like, you know, the typical European thing is, well, you know, they're not playing hard like in the NBA. Right. Yeah, but perhaps you're watching game 60 with a tanking team against the team on a three games in four days situation, you know. Um, and then, you know, the American is like, well, you know, a player, if I can't make it here, I go to Europe. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, it's not that easy. So, you know, and I think like there's, like you can have that approach or you can have exactly the other one that, hey, like there's, I think, a lot to learn, like from each side. And I've, you know, in a, in a way, I was forced into that approach, you know, and, and that's been nice. But this is more on a personal level, you know, like that's really opened up my eyes just as a citizen of the world, you know, just yeah, there's different cultures and different cultures, uh, you know, leads to different, you know, behaviors and different behaviors, et cetera, et cetera, lead to different styles of doing things. And, but to come, come back to your question, I think, so, yeah, again, I mean, everything starts with the fact that, that Northern American pro sports is, is a draft system with a, with a salary cap and European sports is like a, a free economy who's got most money situation. And I think the next thing is that North American pro sports is closed leagues and, and, and European leagues are relegation leagues. So those two things almost explain everything. Right. So is that <laughs> and sometimes we try to be cute and like, yeah, well, why wouldn't that work? Yes, 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 for sure. But like that's where it starts. Right. Now, to me, tactically, like there's 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 quite a few things. I, I think um so the the challenges or for like let's say it starts with the rules, right? Like the rules in, in the NBA backslash G League are very, very offensive oriented. Like they are pro offense. Like what do I mean? I mean, you know, the fouling. There the physicality is not allowed like it is allowed in Europe. And therefore, like well, a lot changes tactically also, right? So so that's the one thing. The other thing I feel is the spacing. Like the floor is bigger. The floor is just bigger and a combination of pro-offensive rules and a bigger floor like lead to uh, lead to like kind of 
differences, right? Like, in, in a way, I, I, I do believe that icing pick and rolls, just as an example, was felt as a necessary thing just to kind of make the court a little bit smaller and, you know, like, just try to limit and, and smaller the court. Whereas, like, like, pushing to the middle in Europe is almost pushing into a crowd, which is a good thing because the floor is smaller, you know, and, and I know this sounds a little bit theoretical, but you can really feel it, you know, you can really feel it. And, and, and because the floor is big, and then again, the rules, you know, where if you're in Europe, you can knife over a screen and you can play physicality as a strong guard. And you get away with like things that in Northern America are clearly fouls. Well, you know, then perhaps it makes more sense to push into the screen and like push into a crowd, right? Whereas in America, if you, you know, it's, it's a big ocean and, and, and probably as soon as the offensive guy is shoulder by the hip of the defender, it's a foul already. So those things change certain things as you approach the game tactically. To me, transition defense is one of the biggest things. Like the transition defense part when I went to America was unbelievable, like unbelievable, where I felt in German Bundesliga and Euro Cup where I had coached before, transition defense was almost a given. Like a team would not beat you in transition. And if they do, then you're really bad defensively. But it's not, not that, you know, you have to over, 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 overextend yourself in the transition defense. Whereas in North America, especially in the G League, and I believe in the NBA as well, like the transition part is so huge, right? And Hand in hand with that, your decision comes with the offensive rebounding because that's where transition defense starts, right? In in, in Europe, on a high on, on a high level, teams crash the glass a lot, and like with three people, you know, sometimes even with more than three people, because the opponent is not going to run on you, right? And if you miss that offensive board, it doesn't matter that much. And I, I'm I'm speaking in extremes, right? And and, and in America, uh, I know now the discussion is big, but, you know, the offensive rebound, you want it for four-factor reasons. And, of course, you want it, right? But still, I, I think especially like the San Antonio thing of really sending like three back always and being very disciplined on that. And when I was in Utah it, against certain teams, we sent four back, you know, just because it was necessary. Like that changes a lot tactically, right? I mean, that itself is a big tactical difference, right? So, you know, those, those, those things, I think I'll give you another example to me, tactically, like um, uh, one thing that I, I believe if you drive the basketball from the perimeter and let's say you drive it from the 45 and you drive it to the middle or you drive it to the baseline, doesn't matter. And there's a big and the opposite read spot and the defensive big helps up. Well, let's say in, in Europe, you drive the ball middle you teach the big on the opposite read spot to circle underneath the ring to create some spacing to make the ball see him, right? And in America, it's much more, you teach the high pass on those things. So, right, it's much more drive and throw it high, whereas in Europe, it's much more drive and, like, wrap it around or throw it low. And to me, the reason for that is spacing. Like, in Europe... The next guy helping in can really sit on the legs of the big. So, like, throwing the ball high doesn't even work, A. And B, also, it's a question of athleticism sometimes, right? So, that's a clear tactical, like, group tactical difference, right? So, 
to me, there's, there's a, there was a lot of stuff to kind of experience, you know, the physicality, like physicality plays a much bigger role in Europe. I think strength plays a much bigger role in Europe, but athleticism, quickness and being above the rim plays a much bigger role in, in North America, again, due to right? So, you know, there's a lot of stuff. That's awesome. Thank you. That's so fascinating to hear. And, you know, I, I'm curious, again, beyond the rules, which are, are you, you explained, I'm guessing the other part of that is personnel, right? That's basically what you're saying is the difference in terms of the type of player in both leagues makes some of those things unique and different, especially you said the transition offense. Is that something in Europe that can be explored more by you potentially with your next job? Can you be a faster team and create an advantage in that? Wish you would be, right? Like, <laughs> of course. <laughs> need to get stops first. I, I, I'll, I will not answer the question, but I'll answer it differently. Like for me, for example, like working in the US, for me, the transition part in the G League was so important that it was like a complete absolute that had to be like touched every practice in whichever form, right? And in every shooter, in whichever form. And if it is coaches going against players and hey, here it is, you know, to knock the point, to, to, you know, knock it home, right? And I felt, I felt here in Europe and people may disagree that like I was going to use my time a, a little less on that, you know, not forget about it. No, but, you know, cut it down. Not everybody, every second practice, you know, and, and rather use that time for something else. Uh, like that was kind of my thinking on the transition defense end, you know? So yeah, you know, that was... That was that was a thing. I, I, I think there's another thing that just comes to my head. To me, it's a big one. Pickup points is a huge thing. Like where in in European basketball, pickup points are not really a topic because pickup points are very high, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And like in Euroleague, not every team picks up full court. No, it's a question of schedule, of energy, of personnel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a certain point in time where every player will be picked up because I think being disruptive, you know, the smaller space kind of makes it easier to extend yourself a little bit. Whereas if you extend yourself in, in, in on a big ocean like the NBA court with the quickness, with the rules, probably you're going to get burned. So, so the pickup points are, are kind of a big topic in America. Right? Like, okay, so where do I pick up? Hey, let's lower our pickup points because teams are coming at you with such speed that it's almost impossible to pick the guy up and slow him down. Whereas in Europe, it's more like, hey, let's pick him up early so we can slow him down. You, you know, so there's really a lot, a lot of nuance that that is different and actually very interesting. It's, that's very interesting that you said that. And because, I mean, definitely watching European basketball, there tends to be more denial, more situational denial, more aggressive defense like that. And that's got a lot to do with spacing that, that we talked about already. But also, you tend to play more players in Europe in more balanced minutes. Is that a fair comment as well? That a lot of the teams at the EuroLeague level tend to play more balanced minutes? I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know, but. Hmm. I don't know. But, and that's a topic for itself, right? Solving yeah. patterns, uh, monitoring minutes, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I do think this. I mean, first of all, the game is 40 minutes. Talking about a major difference, right? Big difference. Uh, <laughs> and schedules are different. So it's, it's, but I, I think there is, I think what you're talking about, and I would agree on that, is that it's due to high intensities. 
and and mostly uh, like consistent high intensity you know you almost have to sell more <laughs> and due to that minutes are a little more balanced that you know that that, that probably is the case that probably is the case yeah interesting so you reference i want to go back you referenced uh, this offensive rebounding concept about sending say three back but this game we're going to send four back can you take that take us inside that as a coach and getting your players to make that change. Because I think a lot of coaches are just, oh, we do what we do. But in these game-to-game adjustments, can you take us in that? How does that process happen? Is it just simply a case of telling your players, okay, today we're sending four back? Or how do you do it within shoot-around, within practice? How do you build that concept? I would say, in yeah, first of all, like saying it in front of the group and video. Second of all, practicing it if you have practice right like if there is if there's a practice situation but even a shoot around situation and then thirdly because especially like specifically in this in this context it's one player who shouldn't crash the glass but get back right like so it's the four man who you're not going to crash but you're going to sprint back so it's also like an individual conversation with him. And then I hope that all those three channels, you know, have the point home. That's great. You reference practice. There's another fascinating question a little bit. Having been in the G League NBA model where, I mean, you practice more in the G League than you do in the NBA, but traditionally Europe has been very practice heavy. And that, from what I understand, that's changed a little bit, but uh, have you either more value or less value for practice after having gone back and forth between those two different leagues? That's a great question. I have more, first of all, you're right. And I think that's something the high European level is kind of high European teams, as far as I understand colleagues, like that's been a challenge and is a challenge to like last season. And uh, we played 82 games combined Euro league. And you know, that's 82 games and 82 games, probably with a little bit of higher intensity than 82 regular season NBA games. Uh, and like, this is not like, right? Like probably, but it, it's a lot of games. And then you just can't practice as much as you could in the past, especially with the EuroLeague schedule. Other international competitions like Champions League, like Champions League and like a Euro Cup may allow, but EuroLeague, you've really got like a tight, tight, tight schedule where sometimes it's not really possible. So, but to me, the, the big takeaway for me from, from the G League model and the practice is that it's even more important to be on point and very efficient with what you do, A, uh, and B, and it goes hand in hand with it. Time plays a big role to me, like, how long is uh, the athlete like in the gym? You know, like you want to be, you want to be effective, efficient. The one thing is a physical piece, but the other is also the mental piece. And like Euroleague teams, teams that I've visited also here uh, this season, and and the colleagues I've been talking about tend more and more to practicing on an NBA model, meaning they come in in the morning and practice in the morning, and 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 then you know, and then you know, be off in the afternoon. So whereas back in the days, the tour days were like, you know, pretty normal, right? Like out of five practice days, if you didn't play internationally, you'd have like at least three tour days, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's important, especially with like, you know, for the mental aspect. I, I think the morning practice, you could easily argue that morning practice like doesn't really benefit your rhythm because you play in the evening and you don't play in the morning or you 
have played a game yesterday and now you come in the next day and you come in in the morning where players and bodies will not be as fresh as they could be in the afternoon, right? But I think there's a strong argument to be made for the mental fatigue. And I think there's a huge argument to be made for get in, get the work done, and then, you know, be off in the afternoon opposed to I'm sitting around all day long waiting for practice in the afternoon and don't really feel that I had a couple hours off because I was waiting for practice, right? So I think that's the thing that Europe is adapting to and taking from, from America. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you mentioned moving back and forth between domestic league and say EuroLeague or some type of Champions League, etc. Another factor I imagine is the variability of the experience of playing in different places in Europe versus a little bit more consistency probably in G League and especially in the NBA in terms of you know the venue and the experience and the travel. The variability, and this is like very personal, like the variability for me personally has been like unbelievable. Like Right, like going from German BBL to the G League, going from an assistant coach to a head coach at the same time was like, like there was so much culture shock in it that, that, that like you really like learn to adapt because there's no other way to handle it. And there is a lot of truth to what you're saying. I think one thing is really important, the, the expression the American expression of playing overseas, like is always like, is it, just too little, like, because like overseas, well, that's like me saying, yeah, I'm going to college. Yeah. And then, <laughs> okay, are you D1, D2, D3, NIA? Or are you, right? Or are you mid-major or real powerhouse like there are differences like night and day right and to me it's the same like i'm playing overseas like there is a massive difference in quality from country to country from league to league and then there's a massive difference in style from 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 country to country like, like spanish basketball is very different from french basketball and french basketball has got similarities to german basketball uh, northeastern european basketball like in the baltic states is very different you know to greek basketball or like let's say to italian basketball and so there's a really a lot of nuances to it and as you travel europe like that's one a really great thing like uh, the big difference to me is as you travel europe and play in europe you you get to see different venues they are not like customized i mean the courts the same size and the baskets are the same height but the balls are the same basketballs but like there's really different venues. That's the one thing. The, the other thing is there are different languages. There's a big factor, right? And there's really different mentalities due to the fact that there's different countries. I think that like, adds a lot to your Euro system <laughs> as, as you compete. Well, I like that you started that by saying it made you worldly, right? Beyond what you know, your normal expectations might be because you've had all these experiences. It's got to be amazing. Yeah, yes. And it's strenuous too. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not comfortable, mm -hmm. um, but like, it's not comfortable at all times. You know, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I remember telling a very good friend of mine like, when I, I got to Salt Lake and I was there like on a one year deal, one plus one with the option for the club. So basically a one year deal. And for me, the main <laughs> one thing was, even if it wasn't going to work out, like my kids would have like one year of English, you know, so, so that was kind of, 
kind of the beauty about that situation in that in that phase. No, but you know, really, like I don't know, it really teaches you. Like there's different different cultures and different ways of seeing things, and 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 your way is not the only way. And you know, it's it's, uh, it's interesting. Hey, coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard, Dr. Dish. Use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish Basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Is there anything that stands out between being a head coach at the G League and being a head coach in, say, the Euro League? Is there any role difference that you found, like something that stands out to you as something that's very different? I think there's a difference in, you know what, they're kind of similar, to be honest, mm-hmm. because the, uh, the sizes of staffs are very similar. And like the size of a staff in EuroLeague team is not different from a G League team. And I think that's credit to the G League. Like the, the level of professionalism in the G League uh, was really impressive. Like just the, like, you know, you've got like a, a, a developmental league that is fully financed by <laughs> the big league with every, you know, court looking the same, everything, there's complete standard to everything, no money comes late. If you're in the right place, there's a smart plan behind what you're doing. Uh, uh, like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different animal than minor league baseball, but I think that's like financially much richer. And, and I mean, you know, just really good players go through the minor leagues in baseball and that's how it is, right? Because they get drafted much earlier, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still an unbelievable, like, lab in a way, you know, and it's, it's just there and you can use it. And I, I think, I think it's a really, really impressive thing. I'm not sure if it's always uh, viewed as that, but, you know, and then there are clubs that really use it in an interesting and thoughtful way. Um, where now it really turns into, you know, into, into a feeder system for, for the, for the big, but back to your question, there's a similarity. I think, I think NBA head coach and, 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 European head coach, that's very different because I would assume, you know, obviously I haven't been in, but, and I would say the biggest difference is the size of staff because the size of staff in the, in the NBA is very, very big. And I'm not only talking about assistant coaches, I'm talking about everything else, right? The, the, the strength and health uh, department, right? Like, is that, I mean, there's, there's so many people traveling and, and you as the head coach, like managing and organizing that, I think that's a big difference. I would assume in the NBA, it's, there's more manager, managing uh, a job to the whole thing. Whereas, you know, again, the size in, in, in Europe of a staff is kind of similar to G League. So it's more about the coaching and not taking away from the other duties. Right. right. Uh, is it is it is it much difference in terms of integration of sports science or analytics? And I know this is an area Europe's grown a lot, but it's still a d- bit different, isn't it? In terms of that, I think it's it's uh, it's uh, very very different. And, and that is that an area you'd like to see Europe grow in? 
Yes, for sure. And yeah. Not so much, I think, if you want to put it on general. And that's, a great, that's actually great. I think that's a very, very, very good point. Like, where it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, we Europeans, we pride ourselves. And I'm, I'm very, you know, speaking in general. Of course. But pride ourselves in, you know, playing good basketball, playing intelligent basketball, playing intense basketball, moving the basketball. Right. And I think that's also generally how it is viewed. Right. And I, I, I really can say, like, I mean, the, the quality of basketball and, and like, let's say in the EuroLeague is really impressive. Like, it, just like I'm blessed to be part of that and, you know, to be able to coach in that, you know, it's, it's really, really impressive. And I, I think every NBA organization would agree on that. Now, the best players in the world are in the NBA, for sure. There, there is no question about it. But it, it, in long spurts of a season, probably the better basketball could be in your league. Like, yeah, like you know, you, perhaps you could. I would agree. It. Yeah, and especially from an aesthetic standpoint of watching the exactly. game. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. It also comes down to like, what are you looking for, right? Yeah. Like, like everybody was hyped about. Yeah, exactly. Is that a stylistic question? But so the funny thing is, though, although we pride ourselves a lot in like being intelligent and playing the right way. Still, Europe is very emotional and, and decisions are based on, on emotions a lot. And I think, I think like bringing a certain objectivity into it would for sure raise the quality of play. Whereas, and that's something, I, and that's an economic thing. Like, like, you know, like in Europe, you're scratching together every like cent, no matter on which level to strengthen the squad or you know and i think the just the economic background of the nba like you know makes it possible to invest in a lot of things also like for example the analytics right or like just the health departments right are so good and therefore players have such long careers because like <laughs> like there's you know but the analytics part was something that i got completely i just like learned in utah it was Great, because I came from Europe, and in Europe, due to the fact, I think, a little bit that we don't really have it, we're not exposed to it, and we are also not held accountable to it, you know, and, and, and it's really not there. I'm, I'm overdoing, you know, of course, teams, but it's not like, you don't, you don't find, like, who's the best net rating in EuroLeague defense? Like, nobody can answer that question without looking without asking somebody who actually knows where to look for it. And whereas in, in America, you go to Twitter and, you know, everybody lets you know that this is the guy with the, you know, highest net rating and this is right. And within three feet uh, of Rudy Gobert, the shot percentage of an opponent is as low as blah, 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 blah right? And I think America, generally speaking, is very driven, uh, very analytically driven. And so that was completely new to me. And I'm not a big math guy so i'm not a big numbers guy but i really enjoyed that part because it just gave me a total new totally new like dimension of things right to think about and i think like there's a real quality to it and and it's it's to me it's real fun like you know it's not it takes emotions out of things you know like like, hey, like these guys are great defensively, and like, yeah, they're super aggressive and they trap everything. Yeah, but you know, perhaps they're not even that good defensively. You know, how do we know? Well, defensive net rating is actually a pretty good number, right? And and that stuff, I, that was really good, and I think especially good in recruiting, 
to be honest. Like the draft process was something I really enjoyed in, in Utah. And I will say this though, uh, because you asked me about like what like would you like to see, right? I like like yes, I think a little bit more objectivity in Europe would for sure improve things. I believe so. Mm. And I think, though, in America also sometimes uh, things are too numbers-driven and almost too objective. Um, what I mean is that sometimes I think in America we forget about, you know, we put all the data together and we find this great athlete, let's say, who meets all criteria, right? And, but we kind of just overlook the fact that psychologically or like character-wise, the person is not made for team sports, right? And, 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 and I think like sometimes you really forget that, like, like, you know, because it's so driven by numbers and you really hope so strongly that this person, you know, can do it. And, you know, and then also I think one thing is difficult to quantify, uh, the quality of playing. Like, can somebody play? It's not easy to quantify, right? Like, it's easy to, hey, can he shoot? Yes. You know, can he, can he jump? Yes. Can he, right? Like, is he long? Is he capable defender due to his athleticism? Should be, right? But mm. can he play, right? Ah, the shot looks really ugly, right? He can't really dribble, but for whatever reason, like, the ball moves with him and he makes the right plays. And that is not so easy to... Uh, to quantify, I think, is the right word. And then sometimes in America, it gets forgotten, I think. Like, you know. That's fascinating to hear. And, and again, like most, most European teams would not have a dedicated analytics person like a G League or an NBA. And NBA teams have multiples of those. So it makes your job easier, as you said, for me and you, where we don't do math that well. We can learn it. But it's much better to have an expert in that field, isn't it? I'd agree, just because I can't do it. And also, yeah. it's a time question, right? Yeah, Big I time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sir, I want to go. You mentioned uh, the draft evaluation process, and you really enjoyed that. Did that make you stronger? Because, again, another part that people don't necessarily understand is a lot of coaches in Europe basically act as the GM as well at a lot of levels, where you're recruiting and you're involved with the agents and you're bringing players in and evaluating them. So I'm curious if that process of being involved in the draft evaluation uh, process helped you become a better evaluator i hope so um, <laughs> yeah. I think, um, like first of all it was really like it was really really fascinating and real fun and i i, I ran the draft workouts there so and, and and i mean this is very specific but you know draft workouts can be very important for g league team because most of those guys will end up not being drafted you know, so, so, so right. no, a lot of them, let's put it like this, a lot. And so it kind of is very important for your evaluation for the G League, you know, uh, to put the team together. And that was like a, a, a little egoistic thing about it, you know, but, but, um, but the thing itself is like, it's just really, it's really organized. It's really money doesn't play a role, right? You can fly everybody in. Uh, to evaluate them, right? We flew people in for the G League to, to you know, we looked for a backup point guard uh, for three weeks and flew people in, like, and had camps with, like, you know, three point guards. So let's get another three in, like, for a G League team, you know, for players who don't, you know, make a lot of money. And just, like, that playground and that lab was fascinating. You know, it was, like, really cool, you know, whereas in Europe, you could not fly somebody in to, to the money is there. You know, like the money is there for the top teams, perhaps, 
you know, but, you know, so that was really enjoyable. I think the evaluation part is, is you know, for no, for sure, it strengthened my, 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 my quality of evaluating. Uh, what is really difficult, well, I, I think this, like the knowing your market, knowing, knowing where you are and knowing how the market works, uh, that's super important. So it's really, it's really, it's work, right? And it's understanding. So what do we need here and, and what is necessary in this league? And does this actually like does what this guy does here work here? And, and right, like that that piece is 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 complex. And so I I, I always I, I think that piece is complex. I think like talking about recruiting, talking about evaluating, right? I think you can evaluate easily if you like a player or not due to what he's doing. But evaluating if the talent, no, if, if the quality of the player is good enough for where you are or fits, that's a difficult one. Like, and I think, you know, that's a difficult one, I think. So you'll evaluate the same player differently than another coach, potentially. That's, that's a given. But let's just say in your scenario in Europe that you have an opportunity to get a proven European player that maybe doesn't perfectly fit what you want to do in terms of your system. Are you likely to want to get that player because they're a proven player and adapt your system? Or are you more looking for players that fit your system? And that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a difficult question. And mm-hmm. I, I will say, I want to answer it generally. Generally speaking, <clears throat> there is a certain especially on a higher level, a certain level of uh, recycling players. That's what I mean, yeah. And, uh, and I think there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, because they're proven, right? Yeah. And that's it. And because the, the basketball, and it works differently because the pressure is on so aggressively and the pressure to win basically every game, which for an American seems very weird no not for an american for somebody from the american sports system right it's not quite understandable it kind of may, almost makes it a necessity right because because well you gotta win you have to you're not thinking a long term and like long-term thinking is probably a privilege of like the highest 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 paying fee you know and and but but everything else is more of short and if best like middle term thinking, you know, and therefore I think the recycling piece plays a big role, you know, and, you know, we talk about the cultural challenges of moving from A to B and from continent to continent. And I think if, you know, uh, American pro hoopers in Europe, like uh, tell you about their rookie season, like it's often going to be a very similar story. And a lot of them don't last because of it. Right. Like the, like being having grit and really wanting that, you know, is is like, is like, is like um, worth a lot. And also, that's a reason, by the way, why players end up in Euroleague. And that, like that, like this NBA Euroleague, who can play where and why is he playing there? That piece, scouting wise, is super difficult. Like super difficult. And I think it's easier for the NBA to get guys over because, A, it's easier because most people want to be there, try it at least, right? And there's also not that big of a risk because, right, like, you know, if, if I bring somebody on and then we'll, 
you know, we'll, we'll see. Perhaps we have him as a rotational player and, and, and or as a roster guy or as a rotational player. And then we see, right, if it, if it pans out. And, but the other way around is really risky because, right, if you get, it's got to work, you know. And, 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 and there's a reason, you know, there's a lot of players on high levels in Europe who were not drafted, who were not considered high at all in the draft process. Like, and I'm not even talking about people who didn't get drafted, you know, because I think there's one to 60 in the draft, right? But then there is also like 60 to 80 or 60 to 90, right? Like, like players who are really good, you know, fringe guys, like who turn into two-way, not fringe, but, you know, like that, that, that quality player. And like, there's a lot of players of that quality who make it in Europe because of their grit, you know, and just because they get through it and they want it. They're not as talented, but they're, you know, just grittier, you know, and, and then you often you're, you're in the NBA front office and you're like, well, why is that guy playing in EuroLeague? And then, well, EuroLeague, like, is it really that good? If that, that, you know, that the, the conversation turns that way, which is difficult, right? It's super difficult. Like if somebody can, can, can find out how to figure that out, then you've got a real good European GM, you know? Well, I know you don't want to talk about specific examples, but I know him and I know the family. Kevin Pangos is a great example of someone who came up through the American system, excelled in Europe, went to the NBA and so grateful he had that opportunity and it just wasn't the right fit. And now he's going back to Europe and he's going to be, again, very successful for a very long time. And there's tons of examples like that both ways. Yeah. yeah. Very good example, right? Kevin Pangos, super mm-hmm. example, right? Like, I agree. Like, re- Kevin Pangos is in EuroLeague for, like, you know, top five guard, I think. You know, you can argue whatever, top seven, top four, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. But he's but, really good. <laughs> lot of money and will make hopefully a lot of money in Milano next year and, and, and is a very, very good, excellent pick and roll player. Technically so, like, technically really advanced basketball player, right? And I, I think really gritty, like words and sticks and like, you know, work, you know, get through everything and and yeah, and then I don't know, right? In the NBA, and then often it's fit, right? And then and then often it's also not only fit; it's also the structure of your contract. And then if you don't get the shot, you don't get the shot, and then it's over before you actually did it. And you know, and then also it is athleticism. You know, you, I mean, you know, the eye test, right? Like you, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, but yeah, like and and and. Super interesting, right? Super it is super interesting. I also believe that there are a lot of people, there are a lot of athletes who are really good here and really wouldn't be that good in, 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 in the NBA and vice versa, you know, like, and, and then again, this gets into it, like very detailed conversation, you know, like why that is and the rules, et cetera, et cetera. Coach, what a fascinating conversation. I can't thank you enough for uh, sharing so many of these insights into, you know, so many different processes back and forth between Europe and obviously the G League and NBA. So thank you for sharing the game with us. Absolutely. I thank you. This has been fun. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at ImmersionVideos.com. At ImmersionVideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary 
for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Thank <music> you.